Impact of Influence, the tragic story of a powerful South Carolina family and the mysterious deaths that they are linked to. Hello, friend. Matt Harris and Seton Tucker here. And as always, so grateful you decided to spend some time with us. You can reach out. Murdoch Podcast on Facebook, MurdochPodcast.com, Matt Harris Podcast at gmail.com. Coming up in this episode, we have Dick Carpoolian's press conference about getting evidence for the Alec Murdoch trial. We also have a new character that is introduced into the Murdoch drug connection. And we have Cousin Eddie Smith's bond hearing, actually the hearing to have Eddie Smith's bond revoked. But first, we're fresh of a little road trip, Seton. Yes. Yesterday, we found out that Dick Harputlian was going to be holding a press conference, so we decided to jump in the car and drive to Columbia. When we got there, it was raining, and we weren't prepared for that. But... No, it was pouring at yes. first. And uh, I just jumped off my radio gig, and I have, so I put these little blue shorts on and a orange backpack. I did not look like a reporter type. I looked like a... Well, I don't know. Your backpack does look a little bit like Dora the Explorer. It really does. Backpack, backpack. <laughs> well, everybody else was in their fancy TV clothes. Regardless, we made it. And uh, we, we listened to uh, the Carpoolian speak, asked some questions, and we're going to break that down for you now. Explain why uh, Dick Carpoolian, Alec Murdoch's attorney, decided to call the press conference. Well, he filed a motion to compel the state to give the evidence they have against Alec in the murder charges. So here is Dick Harpulian, Alec Murdoch's attorney, and his statement. Yesterday, Jim Griffin and I filed a motion for Judge Clifton Newman to hold a hearing to order the state prosecutor in Alex's murder case to comply with the law, requiring them to give us the evidence in this case. Both the constitutions of the United of the state of South Carolina and the United States prohibit trial by ambush. The law requires the state to make this evidence available to us within 30 days of our request. The 30 days is not a minimum. It's the maximum. You would assume most, if not all, this material was available 32 days ago when we requested it. You would assume the state knew when they presented indictments for murder, we would immediately request the evidence. And you would assume they would have made it available a month ago so we could evaluate the quality and quantity of it and begin to hire experts, interview witnesses, and examine any physical items they will try to introduce into evidence. This is the process that occurs every day in every county of South Carolina wherever a criminal case is pending. The state has agreed to try this case in January. Every day that passes makes it more difficult for Alec Murdoch and his attorneys to get prepared for trial. This motion we filed yesterday outlines our position more fully. We're asking Judge Newman to order these materials turned over to us immediately without delay. I will comment on procedural aspects of this matter, but not on any substantive evidentiary issue. August 15th would have been 30 days since the charges were filed. And my understanding is the state is required to give this evidence to defense counsel within 30 days. And this press conference was on August 17th, two days after the 30 day deadline. They had, uh, Harpootley mentions 32 days. So he, 
He's quite upset about this. We also find out in that statement that the trial is set for January. On the indictment, the day of the indictment, they were going back and forth on a date. Uh, I didn't know there was an official January date. And so Harpootlian at least leads us to believe that there is an official January date for the start of the trial. We took questions after his statement, and let's listen to some of the questions and his responses. Well, let's start with the first question. was from our pal Riley Benson at WCBD News 2 in Charleston. He asked Dick Harpootlian why Dick had wanted the gag order and then had this change of heart where he was suddenly calling a press conference. We didn't get a gag order. I mean, the judge said, not going to gag you. We're not going to seal anything. Everything's out in the open. Well, if it's out in the open, those are the rules. We're going to play by the rules. Um, and, and I might further point this out. As you see in the motion, there's been an exchange of emails rather than motions made. And, and let me get a little technical. Rule 5 of the South Carolina Rules of Criminal Procedure, once we make that motion, our guys indicted, we make a motion, they have 30 days maximum to give us the stuff. On last Friday, almost at 5 o'clock, we get an email from the prosecutor telling us he wants some sort of order that would seal everything, basically, which we believe is inconsistent with Judge Newman's denial of the gag order. We tried to tweak it a little bit and finally just said no. Statewide grand jury law requires certain sealing and certain procedural requirements to, 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 to make that public. This is not this is information was gathered by the statewide grand jury, but this is a case pending in state court in Colton County. Those rules don't apply. There was no reason, as I point out, they couldn't have turned all, almost all of this over to us 32 days ago. There's still two days late. Now, Judge Newman uh, uh, issued, uh, sent an email this morning asking uh, that an order be drafted um, unsealing items. That's great. A number of the search warrants in this case had sealed affidavits. Now, sealed affidavits, I shouldn't have to explain to any of you, because if you turn on the news right now, <laughs> they're talking about sealed affidavits on a certain search warrant in Florida. The question is, after the indictment is brought, should they still be sealed? And the answer is no. So 32 days ago, they could have made a motion to unseal the search warrants. They didn't do it. So it is... I've been doing this almost half a century as a prosecutor and as a defense attorney. This conduct is unprecedented. Unprecedented. They're hiding the ball. I'll give you an example of perhaps why. We had a call after uh, we had this inability to reach some agreement from the family, Alex's family. They indicated Sweat had contacted them and wanted to review some evidence and would come by next week to do that. They wanted to get to them before we could talk to them, before we could see the evidence, which, which would indicate to me they didn't expect to give us the evidence until next week. They get a call this morning saying, can we come by this afternoon? I mean, this is, this is, this is again, gotcha prosecution. It's trial by ambush. Give us the stuff. We're ready to work, ready to hire investigators, ready to hire experts. Somebody wants to know blood spatter. All I know about blood splatter is what I read in some blog. I, I've never seen any blood spatter evidence. 
I've never seen any phone downloads. I've never seen any witness statements. That is hooey. And he used hooey, so he's serious. The thing he was talking about was the search warrant affidavit being sealed. And what we know about that concept is that sometimes it's sealed to protect witnesses. Uh, There could be reasons why it has to be delayed to uh, either get protection for the witnesses, perhaps, because what the affidavit will tell you is why the judge rubber stamped a search warrant. There had to be a reason. What was the, the reason for the search warrant? There could be sensitive information in there. There could be a uh, witness's name. We'll have to find out when it's unsealed. So let's move to the next question. So the next question was about why Harputlian said that the AG's office was responsible for the leaks. That's what Swed told the family. The family wanted to know why they were reading about it in the paper before they heard about it. And sweat agents with them said the attorney general's office had leaked it. The Murdoch family, yes. That would be uh, his brothers, um, his sister, and, of course, Maggie's family. So it's interesting that SLED is pinning the leaks on the attorney general's office. If what Dick Harpulian is saying is true. And I'll be interested to see if the AG's office comes out and says it wasn't us. It was SLED. Or will they accept it? I, I doubt they'll just say, yeah, it was us leaking. I can't imagine that. But also... The family is finding out this information by reading the newspapers the same way you and I are. Sure, yes, because I wouldn't imagine that SLED or AG's office would want to tell the family any evidence that they have. And we're not just talking about the Murdoch family, we're talking about Maggie's family as well. Correct. Next up is the question of whether these delays will cause the Carputlian to delay the January trial of Alec Murdoch. We will try this case in January, come hell or high water. Ride by here at 11 or 12 o'clock at night, you're going to see the lights on. We're not going to let this slip by because they're dragging their feet. So Harputlian says they're going to do what it takes to do what they need to do to be prepared for trial in January. And let's hear what Harputlian has to say on why it would be advantageous for the state to delay them getting the evidence as soon as possible. To make it more difficult for us to be, uh, look, let's say for the sake of argument, there are, uh, they've done um, geofencing, which is a a word I've learned recently with cell phones. We have to hire a geofencing expert. They're not easy to find. We have to get the information from them, from the state, give it to them, have them analyze it, and that can't happen overnight. So the longer they take to give it to us, the longer it's going to take for us to get prepared. Well, that's fair, Um, but it's also interesting why Harputlian is so anxious to get this trial started. He went, yeah. Does he feel that the AG's office is not prepared? Very good point, Ms. Seaton. Um, Also, we hear a little bit about the type of evidence he expects to receive. There's the cell phone data. There's um, uh, data uh, from uh, the black box of his truck. There's, um, you know, forensics. Uh, we've never seen an autopsy. We've never seen, you know, an analysis of time of death. We've never seen any of the sorts of basic things you'd want to know in a murder case. Then I chimed in with a question because I wanted to double check how much Dick Carputlian had received from the state. 
And his answer? We have nothing. Zero. Zero. Nada. This is interesting because last week in court, Dick Harputlian said that Alec Murdoch would be found not guilty on these murder charges. And now we know that he has not received any of the evidence that the state has against his clients. So how can he be so sure is what you're saying? But maybe he has evidence that Alec didn't do it or believes he has evidence Alec didn't do it. Next, we go on to a question someone asked about whether he thought that Alec Murdoch would face the death penalty. They have not indicated. You know, I've prosecuted or defended 15 death penalty cases. I've never seen it. This is a circumstantial evidence case, as far as we know. Again, based on what we know, which is 100% we don't know. Um, anyone that would seek the death penalty in a circumstantial evidence case uh, would not be knowing what they're doing, um, because a jury's not going to give the death penalty on a circumstantial evidence case. And I've tried it. Mm. I know it doesn't work. It should also be noted later on in this press conference, Dick Harputlian mentions that Alan Wilson has never tried a death penalty case. And this is a big one to start off with. Alan Wilson is the attorney general. Yes. He also mentions at some point during the press conference that SLED had requested a meeting with the Murdoch family next week, but moved it up to August 17th, the day of this press conference. So few hours after this, SLED is scheduled to talk to the Murdoch family. The Carpulian says he does not know what it's about, and uh, neither do we. That moves to the next question, which I asked, which was, if a change of venue was still on the table. Not for me. I want to pick a Carlton County jury. I, I, I believe we can get a fair trial in Carlton County. It's interesting. He says he wants a Carlton County jury and trial. I guess it's possible that the prosecution might decide it behooves them to move the trial away from basically Alec Murdoch's home turf of Colleton County. So next, Harputlian is asked about the lifting of the gag order and if that would impact his client's ability to get a fair trial. Well, if I mean, people keep leaking stuff. Yes. That's not true. Yes. Even if it is true. But, we're, you know, that's why you have Wadir. That's why you, you scrutinize jurors. Look, I've tried in my lifetime hundreds of criminal cases, prosecuted and defended. I have full faith in our judicial system. What stuck out to me here was when he said, even if the leaks are true, mm -hmm. that he may not be able to get a fair trial. Well, he wanted to make sure that everyone knows that perhaps some of these sources aren't so accurate. And as we heard, take a little break and uh, get you ready for some traveling you've got coming up, some international trip where you want to be able to at least get around, right? So you want to learn the language of the country that you're going to. You want to experience it with a little bit of knowledge going in. And you can get a lot of bit of knowledge when you use Rosetta Stone. It's the most trusted language learning program. It's available on desktop. It can also be used as an app on your phone or tablet. And Rosetta Stone teaches through immersion. So instead of memorizing and drilling vocabulary words, you learn by matching audio from native speakers to visuals. You read stories, you participate in dialogues, so you are ready to go. It's the most trusted, time-tested app out there. They've been the expert in language learning for 30 years. Buy Rosetta Stone now, and you never have to pay a renewal fee. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. 
for a very limited time, Impact of Influence listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 40% off. That's 40% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 40% off at rosettastone.com backslash today. From our FBI, uh, former FBI agent a while back, but that happens in cases. I think what he was doing was setting up that these leaks have affected Alec's ability to get a fair trial. Maybe, maybe. Well, speaking of Alec, uh, <laughs> Dick seemed a little annoyed by the question, and you'll hear what someone said. Uh, Senator, how is Alec holding up? He's fine. Dick was short and to the point there. The only question he was short and to the point with. Not a lot of information. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. Now we move on to a new character that has entered this whole Murdoch saga. His name is Spencer Roberts Seton. Spencer Roberts is a lifetime resident of Walterboro, and his bond hearing was actually right before Cousin Eddie's bond hearing. And I don't think people saw this coming, but he was indicted on some charges related to fraud during COVID. It says that he was accused of lying to the government to collect more than $40,000 in unemployment benefits and government business loans during the COVID-19 pandemic. He created a false company and said he needed to pay wages. So he's in trouble for that. But the bigger news is he seems to be tied to Alec Murdoch. Now, his attorney... Mark uh, Pepper said after the hearing, quote, there's been no indication to me that Roberts even knew who Murdoch was. That's the first time I've heard that. I certainly didn't expect to hear it for the first time in open court. As far as formal charges go, uh, it's tied to that unemployment insurance fraud you talked about. His attorney's questioning, what is the deal? What is the tie in to Murdoch? So according to an article in the state, it says Roberts received downstream a substantial number of checks originating from Alec Murdoch. Also references a substantial amount of narcotics. In the article, they kind of go on to explain this pipeline. And it's the first time we've seen a trail of finances. So John Monk in the state lays out the pipeline like this, his sources tell him. Murdoch would give checks of stolen money to Eddie Smith, who had cashed them. Then Smith would give the cash to Roberts, who would use the cash to buy drugs. That Roberts would then give the drugs to Smith, who would then give them to Murdoch, the sources said. And Creighton Waters said the amount of drugs is of, quote, trafficking weight. Drug trafficking charges carry a mandatory minimum 25 years sentence. And Waters didn't explain why Robert's not been charged with drug violations. This was interesting, too, uh, because why didn't he have the drug charges in this open court session that we just had? Well, how shocked was his attorney to come in there thinking that he was coming in for these charges and then Alec Murdoch's name was brought up? Also, in ABC News 15, they kind of mentioned that Robert's 
did have some previous charges. In 2008, he had felony insurance fraud, and he was last arrested in 2014 with criminal domestic violence charges. And the thing is also, when we talked about the drug charges not being on there, uh, again, John Monk mentions in his article that if you want someone to testify against other people, like maybe Cousin Eddie or Alec, uh, you hold that serious charge. Like, all right, talk, or we're going to drop this serious charge on you. So maybe that's why he hasn't been charged yet, because they're trying to get him to roll. So they definitely are probably trying to get him to testify against Alec or maybe Eddie. We don't know if Eddie is still cooperating with authorities. Speaking of Cousin Eddie, let's get to the bond hearing. The state prosecutors want a judge to revoke bond for Cousin Eddie Curtis Edward Eddie Smith is the alleged co-conspirator with Alec Murdoch in drug trafficking and money laundering schemes, and he's been out on bond, but the state wants that revoked. Right. So one of the things that they talk about in this is that he maybe wasn't as forthcoming as he should have been about his financial situation. So let's listen to what Creighton Waters had to say. Uh, one of the things that Mr. Uh, Smith said to you at that last hearing, as you may recall, of course, we've sent a clip to the court. Uh, we can play if you want, but I don't believe that's necessary. Uh, but he said, I have no money. I ain't got no money. He said that twice, Your Honor. Uh, once uh, uh, additional financial documents were obtained from that period, uh, it was uh, uncovered that um, at the time of the bond hearing, uh, in his checking account, Mr. Smith had $58,478.52. And in fact, uh, just a few weeks prior, uh, he had received a deposit of $78,166.20. Your Honor, uh, I've had a chance to talk with the defense. We, of course, uh, had a copy of the checks. uh, And and we're aware, of course, that this appears to be an insurance settlement uh, figure that he had received for an alleged fire at his shop, frankly, that Alan Murdoch was supposedly going to handle for him. Uh, and ultimately, that was a settlement. Um, and we don't dispute that. We don't dispute that at all. Uh, but that doesn't change the fact is that that was not what Mr. Smith said to Your Honor when he was asking for Your Honor's consideration in a bond. Uh, he didn't say, well, by the way, Your Honor, I've got, I just had $80,000 in my checking account. Uh, but let me explain. He said, I ain't got no money. Twice. Uh, he also said all that money um, you know, went to Alec Murdoch uh, to some $3.4 million. Uh, of course, a substantial amount of that was cashed out. And as you know, cash is hard to trace. Okay, so a couple things jump out at me. One is the mention of a shed, because in Cousin Eddie's first bond hearing, when they were charging him with being in this, this drug trafficking thing with Alec, He mentions a shed and he talks about, I didn't know what was going on back there, which implies to me that drugs were being made. That's the implication anyway, but he didn't know about it. And then we have this, which is a shed burned down on his property. Was it the same shed? Was it a shed that got, you know, was rebuilt? I mean, he got 80, almost $78,000 in insurance money, but he just got the money. Well, did you notice that Alec Murdoch was representing him in this situation with the burn shed? Yes. So there's some sketchy things that could be going on there. And also, how did he rebuild the shed if he didn't get his money until now? I don't know how that works. And how many sheds are on Cousin Eddie's property? That's what we got to find out. And we also need to listen to what Eddie's attorney's version of why he 
he wasn't as forthcoming as he should have been with his financial situation. Please, the court, I'd like to address the, uh, the financial issue. With regard to this check, Your Honor, a little bit of background. Uh, Mr. Uh, Waters has referenced what Eddie said at the hearing, I don't have any money, right? I think if the court goes back and looks, during the course of that um, communication, the state had been going constantly about this $3.4 million that had been passed back and forth from Alec Murdoch, and the implication was that it's unaccounted for, we don't know where it's at, i.e., maybe Eddie's got it. And so, yes, he makes the statement, he says it, that all that money went to Alec Murdoch. Now, I don't deny the words he said was, I don't have any money, but I think in context with the, what we are responding to with the distractions and all the other things we have in the court, I don't think he was trying to make a representation that I have precisely zero dollars in my bank account. So the, this check, um, the state had been aware of this um, settlement for some time. I think I texted Mr. Waters back in April that he was likely to be receiving this um, check. And the reason, you know, quite frankly, given everything that was going on, we wanted to see is that an aspect of the state's investigation. And all representations to us have been that, that does not appear to be, has not been. Um, there's been no evidence to indicate it's anything other than a, a fire to which he had a valid claim. Now, um, at the time of the hearing, like I said, he got the check, he immediately begins paying down credit cards, he pays back people who he borrowed money from, his entire life savings being less than $52,000. So one thing is in there is that Cousin Eddie's attorney wants to make it clear that there's, nobody's been accused of doing some fishy stuff with the fire, points that out very specifically because everything and anything that Alec Murdoch touched is under suspicion. So he wants to point out that, hey, this there's been no reason the, the, the state knew about this. They've looked it up. It's all good. Yeah, and he wants to make it clear that the money that he's been accused of laundering that he didn't receive any benefit from that but the big money right whatever it was three some three point something million yes and and also a lot of that money that he received the seventy eight thousand dollar insurance check he had to pay off debt and still his net worth was only fifty eight thousand something like that well the ag's office also points out that there were checks that were made out to cash so let's hear what they have to say uh, when we look at the checks that um, have been disposing of that $80,000 that Mr. Uh, um, uh, Smith got, boy, we see uh, checks, you know, $1,000 cash, $3,000 cash, $8,000 cash, $4,000 cash. Looks a lot like the checks that we see uh, when the Alec Murdoch uh, scheme was allegedly going on. So, so if you missed what he was saying there, it's kind of hard to hear. But uh, Creighton Waters, the prosecutor, is saying that the cash checks that Cousin Eddie was writing reminded him of the alleged conspiracy that Alec and Eddie had going on where there was checks being written for cash. Yes, hard to trace. Um, the other condition of bond that the AG office says that Eddie Smith violated was the house arrest. The filing GPS data showed that Smith broke terms of his house arrest 26 times during his first two weeks out of jail just hours after he was released when he visited an unauthorized private residence and I think seven private residences and GPS showed that Smith made 10 unauthorized trips to the Dorchester biomass power plant. And it was at odd times. 
And that's what Creighton Waters was having a problem with. It was the early times where he visited between 1 and 5 a.m. Well, Eddie says that his job is a as a driver. So he doesn't really, he's not in a workplace where you're there from 9 to 5. His, you know, this is a 24-hour business and he has to make these deliveries at different times. So, you know, it it does bring the question up in my mind is if you are a delivery driver on house arrest, that seems like you would be a very difficult person to monitor. It doesn't sound like Creighton Waters is buying this. He was working during those times. No. And doesn't seem convinced that Eddie was working. Yeah, I think he, he has concerns for sure. Uh, there's also one other thing we wanted to point out. Real quick clip is from Eddie's attorney mentioning the problem if Eddie went to the detention center where Alec is staying. Here it is. But to put him back in, especially in Alvin S. Glenn, with all of these medical conditions, and my concern, I have a, an additional concern, would be that he couldn't be in the medical dorm because his co-defendant is currently housed in the medical dorm, um, which I think would cause a whole other host of, of concerns. Alec's in the medical dorm. That's exactly what you said, and I don't think anybody's picked up on that. You noticed that, and that was great. I, I, I don't understand why he, we don't know why he's in. We have not heard that mentioned. I guess we wouldn't because that is probably some sort of doctor-patient type thing. Or they could be housing him there for his own safety. We also, uh, before we wrap on this whole thing, uh, we'd like to hear a little bit of what Cousin Eddie had to say. I apologize to the court's time, first thing to begin with. Uh, and when you asked me about my financial stuff, with everything going on with it, like it was with Ellis murder, that's what I thought he was implying to. I by no means in no way trying to hide the money from uh, fire I had in the shop three years ago. That, uh, that I've had to take and spend almost all that money just to buy myself out. No way that I ever had any intention of throwing my nose at this court. And I apologize for the good time to you. Maybe I'm a sucker, but I kind of feel like Cousin Eddie wasn't really aware. I, I really don't know if he knew exactly the terms of his house arrest. He was polite. He apologized for taking the court's time, um, but Judge Newman ruled that Eddie did willfully violate the conditions of his bond and ordered him to be jailed. Okay. Um, he did say he would possibly revisit that decision at a later date. All right. Keep reaching out. Murdoch Podcast on Facebook, MurdochPodcast.com. Matt Harris Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk soon. Join Hala Taha for actionable advice from the brightest minds in the world on the Young and Profiting Podcast. Author and academic Arthur Brooks on what success isn't. The husband was confessing to his wife that he might as well be dead. And I'm thinking, whoa, what's wrong with this guy? I turn around to get a look and it turns out to be one of the most famous men in the world. The world tells you that if you are profiting, money, power, pleasure, fame, you're going to be happy. And that's a bogus formula. The Young and Profiting Podcast, wherever you listen. Hello, this is Dr. Grande, the host of True Crime Psychology and Personality. On my podcast, I explore and explain the pathology behind some of the most horrendous crimes and those who commit them. We discuss topics like narcissism, psychopathy, sociopathy, and antisocial personality disorder from a scientifically informed perspective. What is a narcissist? How do you spot a sociopath? What signs can you look for to protect yourself from these dangerous personalities? It's not just about the stories, 
but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal.